God speaks to us in his word in Mark 12, 38 through 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Leslie. Morning. Good to see you guys. Um, we will be in Mark 12, as we just read. Please uh, open your Bibles there. Um, I do think it's important for us to be a church that uh, has the Bible, knows how to move around in it, brings an, an actual physical copy. So I'm literally, if anybody knows me, they know I'm always on my phone, on the Bible. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you have a Bible, man, let's be people of the book. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, um, we have words on the screen. Of course, it's on your phone. And if you need a Bible today, man, we would love to give you a Bible. Okay, uh, we're going through a series, a, a little mini series right now um, on what do we believe as a church. And it's just important. It's not, it's not like a PR stunt for, for us. It's not, we're, not trying to, um, we're not trying to come to or make you believe some weird idea that we have somehow cornered the market on how to perfectly do church at Frontline. Um, that's not the case at all. Um, we just, this is what we feel like the Bible has laid out for us and for a church in general. It's for us, it's to multiply gospel communities, to be a multi multiplying church. If you were here last week, you would have heard um, some preaching on that. Uh, and then it's to love God, and then to love people, and then to push back darkness. So to be a people that multiply, that don't just, that don't just feel like we've got this thing that's only ours, and then we, we uh, you know, that, whole, that old saying that's like, you get all you can, you can all you get, you bury the can, and then you sit on top of the can. <laughs> well, that's not what we're trying to do. We want to be people that Jesus talks about uh, not hiding a candle in the corner of a house. If you have a candle in, the, in a house, it gives light to the whole house. We should let our light shine before men. That's who Christians are. And some of us in the room, we discovered this last week, some of us are stale and stagnant in our faith because all we do is think about ourselves. And I just would encourage us, let's be a multiplying people. Let's talk to people about Jesus. Let's, um, let's, uh, let's talk to ourselves about Jesus, our kids, whatever it is, man. Let's be people that multiply our faith. Uh, then that love God and then love people and then push back darkness. Today is love God. Next week, Blake Randolph will be preaching on loving people. And today we're in, again, love God, Mark 12, uh, 28 through 34. Um, before we jump into this, I want to, uh, I want to take a minute to, um, to stir you up to something that, is, that feels integral for, and it feels like massively important for our day and for the, the, the town that we live in. 
And it's this, it's like, there is so much confusion in the whole world. I mean, people are trying their best to um, theorize and build theologies around how we should live our lives. And particularly right now, the confusion of the day is around what does it mean to be a man and what does it mean to be a woman? And my thing is this, is like, we will get to the place in society, I think, well, maybe not. I mean, there's never been a time where society wasn't chasing its own tail. But hopefully we can get to a place in the church where we go, hey, what the confusion that, that's happening in the world around us is not working. It just doesn't work. Nobody knows what to believe. Nobody knows how to act. We're just constantly believing random things. We're exchanging uh, truths for lies and we keep exchanging truths for lies and we exchange another one for another one when it doesn't work. And so this feminine virtue thing that we're about to embark on is, is one of the, I think, one of the more important things that we're gonna do all year and maybe in the last five to 10 years, to be honest. We need renewal. We need, we need to go to the Bible. We need to look at the word of God and make sure that we align with what Yahweh has to say about the way that he designed us. Because we didn't design us. We didn't design him. God designed us. So I, before we jump in this today, I just want to reiterate how important it is for us to be pray, praying for the women in the room to be humble and be teachable. And for the men in the room to be humble and be teachable and be ready to support our women in prayer. Amen? Amen. All right. Mark 12. John Wesley, some of you have heard, um, John Wesley is a, um, he's, he was a, a theologian and a preacher, a revivalist preacher. And um, him and his brother, Charles Wesley, they, they actually wrote a lot of hymns together. But John Wesley was this amazing, amazing called Christian man. And uh, early in his life, um, he, had a, he had a real dedication to holiness. As a matter of fact, he, he started a society with his brother on their Christian campus. Um, it, it was called something like the Holy Brothers. And their whole drive was to just be, like to get sin out of their life. He fasted twice a week, all day. He prayed for at least an hour a day. He, he gave his life to the ministry. He actually became a missionary, which was not an easy thing to do. He was in England and he gave his life to be a missionary to the Americas to do ministry to, at that point, which was a very lost society in America. And one of the weirdest things happened was, I mean, this man, again, his life testified to knowing God. Uh, he went over his first missionary trip and it went totally south. I mean, it was like he almost died. Um, he, did some, he did some like ungodly things while he was over in America. Some ungodly things happened to him when he was over here. It was ineffective. And there's a long story about it, but what happened was he gets on a boat on the way back home to England. A massive storm comes on the boat and he's questioning his faith. And everybody on the boat thinks they're going to die because the storm was that lethal. There's a group of people that are huddled up on the boat and they're worshiping and they're thanking God. And they're praying that God would subside the storm. But even if he doesn't, it's okay. And John Wesley looks at that group of people and he says, I don't know what they have, but I want that. And that group was, is an amazing group called the Moravians. Um, ended up ministering to John Wesley. And one of the things that happened to, to him, which 
is so profound and almost a little scary and should be for us is he realized that he, although he had done several things for God and that he knew a lot about God, he didn't actually know God at all. And he ended up giving his life to Jesus after he had studied God, done things for him, and been caught in a storm. And my big fear for our church and for this part of the world is that we have a lot of unsaved Christians. We talk a lot about being over-churched and under-gospel. That's my fear. My fear is that we know about God, we study about God, but we don't actually know God. We love the idea and the concept of Christianity because of what it does socially to us, but we don't actually love God. The story that we're reading today is a story that is just that. This man, a scribe, who was one of the religious leaders of the day, comes up to Jesus. Jesus is in an argument with other religious leaders, and he comes up to him, according to Matthew and Luke, to trick him. Mark doesn't say that, but to trick Jesus. He's a man that knows a lot about God. He would have been seen praying out loud in the temple and reading in the temple. He would have been known as, okay, the way this guy dresses, he acts, the face that he puts on, he is a religious man, reverent, revered. Surely this man knows God. He didn't know God at all. He came and asked a question to Jesus. And what Jesus did to him, which is what he does to a lot of us, is he doesn't give us the, the answer to the question that we think that we need. He gives us the one that we actually need. And it's different than what we ever expect. My advice to you and my advice to myself, believe me, is that we perk up and we pay attention to our heart today. Because we have to discover what it truly means to know God what it truly means to love God, to be people that know God and love God and don't just pretend to be. The first thing I want you to see is this. To love God is first and foremost to pursue him. To love God is to pursue him. Jesus is about to give an unquantifiable answer to this man, something that cannot so easily be grasped. He's gonna teach us all about true worship what it means to love God in the heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the first thing that we have to see that's so important to even know that stuff is the scribe came up to Jesus, simply put. He came up to Jesus. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, he asked, ask him, which commandment is the most important of all? He came up to Jesus. Now let's be clear about something. The scribe has completely mixed motives. Again, according to Matthew and Luke, he's coming to trick Jesus or to catch him and trick him. He's got mixed motives. He's not pure of heart. But the deal is, is that he came to him mixed motives and all. And that's what we have to do. And as a matter of fact, every time you come to Jesus, you come with mixed motives. But the key is this, come to Jesus, come to him. Mixed motives, messed up life, come to Jesus. He's in front of God but he's missing him. However, he still comes. The notion that we must clean ourselves up before coming to God, that we must pur purify our mind, or at least make ourselves believe, because there's no such thing as actually cleaning yourself up. That doesn't exist according to the Bible and according to my own personal life experience and yours. The idea that we've got to clean ourselves up to get to God 
is blasphemy. It's one of the great lies that rarely ever is said. Most guys would say from the pulpit, no way, that's not real. But it's one of those embedded lies that we believe in the Bible Belt. That somebody has to get right before coming to God. And I would actually argue that that is a hindrance to you coming to God. Because what we have to do is come to God completely holistically and honestly to say, I don't know what I need, but I know that I am messed up. And I know that I cannot get unmessed up by myself. And so I'm coming to God totally messed up in every way because I know that I need him because I can't do it. Jesus saw this multiple times. You remember the the woman that was caught in adultery? She was going to be stoned. And Jesus, the king of holiness, who never once even looked on a woman, who never once gave himself up, was not married, the king of holiness, the man who invented holiness, says to religious leaders, Are any of you holy enough to throw stones at her? And the answer was, of course, no. That's the story of the gospel, and that's your story as well. And it's mine. This idea that we've got to clean ourselves up, she would have never been saved if that were the case. And what does he tell her? He, He tells her everything she's ever done. He tells her exactly what's going on in her life. He doesn't ignore the fact that she needs to change. But it was the kindness of God, the kindness of the, what a bizarre situation to think. The king of all holies, the man who invented sinlessness. He meets me with kindness. That's profound and it changed her life. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. We must pursue God as we are, mixed motives, mixed life, sinfulness, all of that. Romans 3.11 says this, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. He's pursuing his own interests while simultaneously pursuing Jesus. And Jesus does what Jesus does. He meets him with the gospel exactly where he's at. And in turn, the scribe, the crowd, and now us get the greatest commandment, which is this. You shall love the Lord your God. That's the great commandment. There's none greater. The man who wrote the Ten Commandments said that this is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God. Loving God is pursuing him. It's coming up to him. A.W. Tozer says it this way, to have found God and still pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. My fear is that we stop pursuing God, that we've allowed ourselves to believe the wicked lie of the cultural Christian, that God is waiting on us to become less sinful, more perfect, and uh, I mean well, and like him. (laughs) We think of God being obsessed with himself the way that we're obsessed with ourselves, It's like, I like people who like the things that I like. I like people who talk the way that I talk, which is ununderstandable at times. <laughs> I like people that like the same foods and sports teams, and I like those people. And if you don't like those people, then, you know, I'll be an acquaintance, but I don't really like you. 
we think of God that way. We think that we have to become like God in order for God to like us. Well, the thing is this, is you were made in God's image, but the only way to become like God is to know God. He designed it that way. He's put it in us to search for him. We must pursue God in order to know God and the fact that he loves you because why? Not because we're just this super great lovable person. He loves us because he himself is love. And that changes everything because none of us meet the criteria to be loved by Yahweh. But Yahweh is actually good. He's a loving God and not just that, he himself is love. All love is defined by God. Love is not God. We can't worship love as a concept as if it is Elohim. God is love. So there is no love outside of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? To have found God and still pursue him is, is the soul's paradox of love. My fear is that we stop pursuing him. The very essence of the gospel is that we could not, A, be him or B, get to him, so he had to get to us. We pursue him because of who he is. Proverbs 8 says this. I love those who love me. This is God talking. And those who seek me diligently find me. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Second thing is this. To love God is to know him. Is to know him. Jesus says then to the scribe, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's quoting a first line of the Shema, which is something that all Israelites would have memorized, written over the door of their house, would have known by heart. The Lord, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's looking at the past, Old Testament. He's saying, I'm that God, I'm the same one, the same loving God. He's looking at his present. He's addressing his reality now and also his future. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Jesus is doing multiple things here. He's teaching us a, a class on Trinitarian theology because he himself is part of the Trinity. But he's also, he's taking authority as God. The Lord our God, the Lord is one, Father, Son, and Spirit. Which means this, hear, O Israel. He says, what is the greatest commandment? And he starts with saying, listen, hear, Israel, scribe. You represent the best of your people. You represent the most devout. I'm using you as an example to all the other people that are around here. Listen, Israel. Listen, church person. Listen, religious person who knows church like the back of your hand and is always here and understands it in every way. Listen, I'm trying to tell you something. The Lord our God, the one that you worship, he is one, three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we talked about this last week. Worshiping God's means worshiping all of him and him only. Not just the concepts that we agree with, not just the stuff that feels uh, most comfortable to us or less threatening. It is not possible. I cannot tell you this more emphatically. It is not possible to worship God truly and to ignore God the Holy Spirit. It's not possible. You cannot worship God. You at that point are worshiping a false God. God the Holy Spirit is God Almighty. We, not, do we, not only do we need him, but he's worthy of all worship, honor, and praise. And so I can't talk about this enough. I'm, I'm talking about it in my life. It's like, 
What's wrong maybe most in our lives? What is, what's wrong maybe in our car ride and in our house and in our personal and private life? Like, why don't we know God in an intimate way? Well, it's probably because we're not even worshiping God because of the way that we've treated God, the Holy Spirit. He is God. He is worthy of praise. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's where it starts, worshiping God truly. Knowing God truly is made available to us because of the work of God the Son. To love God is to first know him and be known by him. The Bible has a lot to say about knowing God through Christ. John 17, uh, 1b through 3 says this, Father, this is the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given. And this, and this is eternal life, that they know you. That's eternal life, that they know you. Uh, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's a word of intimacy. It's not just, in, it is intellectual knowledge, but it's also intimacy. It's that they become intimate with you. The Bible it's interesting, it's always, we never think about it this way, but the way the Bible would even talk about uh, married partners being intimate with each other is that they knew them. And this is, it's of course not sexual, but it is intimate. It is that intimate knowledge of God. Philippians 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. 2 Peter three eighteen. But grow in the grace, this is a charge, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To know him is to think on him, to train our minds to be intellectual knowing and then also emotional knowing in the depths of our soul and then to know him, to experience him with our hands. To love God is to know him, to practice him. What is God like? How do we know God? How? Well, he has given us the best manual of all time. This book that he wrote about himself and that is also still alive, still has a heartbeat like we say alive. To know God. Hey, I don't, it doesn't matter. You, I, this is why this is so, this is why it makes me so mad. It makes me mad for myself. The way that American Christianity, the way that we have done in the Bible Belt to, to, to imply, and it's this creed now that we've adopted that we've got to like become something better than what we are in order to be worthy to read this book. I'm just telling you right now, the best thing that you could ever do is in your worst, grossest, the time in your life when you're like, I'm so upset with myself, I cannot get it right. The best thing you can do is to refute that stupid, evil, wicked lie and say, I need the book. I need the word of God. And I'm a hot mess and I might go out and do something crazy as soon as I get done reading it, but I know that I need it. Amen? It's just saying we need worship. We need, we need to put ourselves in the this, in this seat. I, I, I've had to do this in my life. There are people here that I'm so proud of. It's just like, man, just come. Just put yourself in the seat. Listen to the word of God. Let it wash over you. The Bible talks about that his words will bring refreshment to our bones. To love God is to know him, is to know him and be known by him. To love God is to surrender to him. 
And you shall, and here's what Jesus says to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is not just love God a lot. God, Jesus never wastes words. This is very specific. It's a statement of all-encompassing life of worship. Not a sinless life of worship, but an encompassing life. A, a life where we pursue worshiping God in every aspect of our life. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, which is our affections, our desire, our devotion and emotions. To love the Lord with all your mind, which is our truth, thinking. To love God with your thinking, with your learning, with your intelligence. And to love him with your soul. Um, this is that unquantifiable thing that's so hard to define and on purpose. Soul is the depths of you. It's your very nature in essence. It's your meaning. It's, that, it's your purpose to what end. That's soul. And strength, which is what we put our hands to, our actions to love God with our habits, um, with our efforts, with our behaviors. So why does God list all these things? Well, here's why. Because God is heart. He's relational. God is mind. God is truth. God is soul. He is the end for which we are created. God is strength. God is holy and calls us to be doers of the word and not just hearers. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We separate any of these from each other, heart, soul, mind, and strength. We say, I want to do these two and not these two. Then we're reducing God and we're reducing our worship of God. Loving God calls for a total surrender of worship. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. The problem is that you're not good at it, and neither am I. We need help. Why are we not good at it? Why doesn't it work for us to just be legalists? You ever think of that? Why doesn't it work for us to just like be better at doing the things? Why? Why can't we just grit our teeth and, and then judge everybody else for not doing it? Why is that? Well, here's why. Because of 1 John 4, the, the very point and nature of love is this. You cannot love outside of love. Well, God is love, which means you cannot love outside of God. 1 John 4 says it this way, we love because, here's the reason, because he first loved us. All love comes from and out of him. The picture Bible, the Bible paints of our propensity to love, what the Bible says about humans and how good they are at loving, it ain't good. <laughs> it ain't good. We do not do a good job. We love ourselves really well sometimes. We're fighting an uphill battle to even desire God, to even want him. Don't raise your hand. I mean, I guess you can if you want, but how many of us, how many of us, I, I, I do this. How many of us get tired of how little love we have for God at times and how much we love ourselves? Anybody? You ever grow tired of going like, man, I, why don't, why? Why don't, why can't I do the things I want to do? Why? Why do I keep doing the things I don't want to do? I'm, I'm quoting scripture, by the way, when I, that's Romans 7. 
That's the apostle Paul said those exact words. I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things I do want to do. Who will free me from this body of death? Why can't we love God the way that we want to? The key and something that has anchored me my entire walk with Jesus, even though I forget it a lot, is to surrender um, even my desire for God to God, to my, my wanting, to want to want, to desire to desire, that's surrender, to surrender even my desires for God to God. God, will you change my desires? That's surrender, to go like, I, I don't even have it within me to surrender to you. Will you help me surrender? A book I read um, years ago when I was barely, I, I might have been 21, which is over 100 years ago at this point, is a book called The Pursuit of God, written by A.W. Tozer. I wish I had put it on the screen. Um, Grace, will you help me remember that for next service? Uh, you can write it down, The Pursuit of God, A.W. Tozer. It's really good. Um, there's a I remember reading this little prayer at the end of one of the chapters. I, probably gonna be tough for me to make it through it. Um, this prayer, that book was anointed for me. It's not the Bible, but um, this prayer changed my theology and it changed my life. I had struggled so much. I'd grown up in a, in a belief, a faith tradition that believed that you could lose your salvation like losing the keys to your car. You know, it's just like all day, you always lose your salvation. You gotta pray every night, God, all these 20, 70, 70 things that I did, that I remember that I did, if there's anything that I don't remember while I'm asleep, or if I sin while I'm asleep, Lord, please will you forgive those two. That way I can wake up in the morning and I can be finally have a perfect day. Well, that never worked out. That was my life growing up. And in my desires, I was always under the knife, man. I was just like, I just felt like I was being, I, I was, I felt like there was surgery always performed on me from, from the inside out because I could not love God the way I wanted. So I was dissected like, what's wrong with my heart? What's wrong with my head? What's wrong with me? Why can't I love God? And I read this book when I was 20, 21. It changed my theology. At the end of chapter one is this prayer. Oh God, I have tasted thy goodness and it has both satisfied me and it's made me thirsty for more. I'm painfully conscious of my need of further grace and I'm ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, the triune God, I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory, I pray thee so that I may know thee indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me and say to my soul, come on, and this is the prayer. This is like, this is what we want. Say to my soul, just say to it, Lord, just speak. Just, if you could reach in and just speak to my soul, if my spirit would just believe this, will you say to me, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to, I don't even have the grace to get up. Give me grace to rise and follow thee from this misty lowland where I have wandered so long. In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody feel like that? 
it's a misty lowland to be apart from God. It's this place of wandering where I go, man, I miss God. I miss God. David had a lot to say about it. David would say, Lord, where are you? I miss you. Will you come and find me? You got to do the work within me, God. He says to himself, he, we said, I've mentioned this so many times in this church. David's got this one psalm where he's surrounded by his enemies. He's always surrounded by his enemies, it seemed like. And he's praying to God and he finally confronts himself and says to self, why so downcast, oh my self, oh my soul? Why so downcast, oh my soul? Why so much turmoil within me? Put your hope in God, the God of my salvation, yet I will again praise him. That's what's happening in your heart right now in this moment. As you read that, it's in mine as well. I walked through my house last night and I prayed and I warred, I battled, I prayed. God, I miss you, I, I, will you help me? Will you help me fight sin? Help me be, help me be a, a, a man that's sold out to like worship you with all of my life, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Walk through my bedroom and my living room and pace through my, every part of my, people probably, my neighbors, who knows? They probably thought that guy, we knew he was crazy. Now he's shouting. My dog, <laughs> he's like, what did I do? Um, I'm just shouting and I just wanna encourage you like be that, do that. Go to war, why so downcast, oh my soul? Be, be person that is in full surrender to God and ask God, God, will you put the desire within me? Will you put surrender within me? Help me want to want you, Lord. Finally, it's this, to love God is to also love others. The artifact of our love for God is love for others. The first commandment, all your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is this. Why does God mention this here? To love, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Yahweh has told us, Jesus, <laughs> he's told us. I, here's the commandment. I, one of the things about the scribe was, the scribe was trying to trick Jesus, but he was also trying to get uh, this, this sort of like, Quick fix, if you could just give me the one commandment that I gotta do. And what Jesus did for him is he gave him something that's like, you can't even quantify. No, I'm after your heart, your whole being. It's not about one commandment. And the artifact of your whole being, the artifact, do you love God and know him and surrender him, will be how do you treat people? How do you treat them? Multiple stories about Jesus looking on the Pharisees. People that would have been, of course, religious leaders and scribes and how they treated people. They would pray prayers. Thank you, God, that I'm not like this person. Thank you that I'm different. And there was also one people that Jesus came against. Religious leaders. They are so far from the kingdom of God. They're not close to him. Closer to the kingdom are those that are scratching and clawing and cannot stop sinning and gross, but just hates their life, hates their sin. Like those people are closer to Jesus than religious leaders. To love God is to love others. Uh, next week, Blake Randolph is gonna preach more on this, but 
Jesus purposely puts these two things together. One cannot be true without the other. And the order is important. Loving, th- this is why I say love is not God. Because we've, rom- we've thrown God out in the world today and we've romanticized, we've made loving people or, being, or kindness a deity, and it's not. It's just an attribute of God that comes through in us when we love and know God. God is love. The order is, is important. Love God and live to worship him. And then second, what comes out of that is to love others. It's the symptom of God love. Finally, this, this is so profound. It, it, those religious leaders and scribes like and some of us, we have the concepts down, we can recite it, quote it, whatever. We know the culture, um, but to not love God, to not surrender to God, and then in turn not, not love people, like it doesn't matter what you know. If there is not a knowing of God, then you're actually farther from the kingdom. This scribe is interesting because he comes like we come. He comes with a mixed bag of motives. He comes with religious duty. He's trying to get out of jail free with this one commandment. Just give me one thing. And there's proof that actually what happens is um, Jesus changes his mindset. He tells him something really interesting at the end. He says, you're not far from the kingdom. The scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no one, no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than a whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, take note, it's not just what he said. Jesus saw that he had, that he had used wisdom. He had come, his countenance was wise. Wisdom meaning understanding, that he had understood what Jesus, so this is no longer, there's something has shifted in this man. You understand? He came with mixed motives and he came looking for something else and Jesus did to him what he does for us. He gives us the answer that we need, which is himself. He gives us himself. And the scribe now, his brain and his heart and his countenance has changed to say, I mean, the, the language here gives the idea that he's not just re-quoting Jesus, it's like he's come to a eureka moment. All the law and the prophets are wrapped up in this. This is better than any sacrifice, this is better than any type of thing. When Jesus saw the answer wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And then, because of the authority and grace and goodness of God working uh, through the Holy Spirit. After that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. You know why? Because every question they would ever ask him was answered in that one moment. The greatest commandment. You're not far from the kingdom of God. Notice he doesn't say that you are in the kingdom of God. No, the scribe isn't there yet. But he is close to truly loving God but still on the outside of the kingdom. And there's a lot here today that are that way. And he's close also to the actual kingdom. 
He's not just near to knowing and loving God in the kingdom. He's also near to the embodiment of the kingdom, which is Jesus. You are near. Jesus is preaching to him. You are in proximity to the kingdom of God. How can we do what Jesus said? The greatest commandment, there's only one way, is to know the one who performed them perfectly. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus did every one of those perfectly. How do we get near to the kingdom of God? How do we get just not on the outside, but close? You have to go to the kingdom itself. You gotta go to Jesus. How many of us are close to the kingdom but not in it? Are we adjacent to it? Do we know about Jesus but don't know him? Are our lives marked by pursuit, knowledge, and surrender? Oh God, I have tasted thy goodness. It has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. And I am painfully conscious of my need of further grace. I am ashamed in my lack of desire. Oh God, the triune God, I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory, I pray thee, so that I may know thee indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me the grace to rise and follow thee up from this misty lowland where I've wandered so long. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.